to Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Today's message is a lot different. Not to say I don't normally preach the word seriously, but you know I love to incorporate humor and stories into the preaching of the word, and I don't sense that coming through today because I feel that if I would add that to this element of the story, that it would take away the seriousness of what I'm about ready to share with you. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19, the message title today is titled, A Cry from Hell. Now you understand why I I don't see any humor in this. I can't relate this to your life in in a humorous way. I can only share this to you with a broken heart. As I was walking yesterday, I was going through different sermons and I listened to old sermons, preachers of the past, and I heard a minister preach on this message and it just so stirred within my soul that I felt the Lord say, preach it here. Luke chapter 16, verse 19, if you're taking notes, they're on the other side of your announcements, and all of our sermons can be replayed on podcasts and on our website for free at metropraise.org. Look at verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell. Where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his fingers in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Verse 27, he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Listen to the preaching of Jesus, my friends. I just read to you what Jesus said. The first thing I want to do is clear up the misconception that is popular today that there isn't a hell. People try to do away with the hell today because everybody wants to go to heaven. If you asked anybody, do you want to go to hell? Only a fool would say, yes, I want to go. Then if you talk to reasonable people, quote unquote, the intelligent people, what do we believe in this society? What would they say? Tolerance. Everybody has a way to God. Don't tell the Muslim he is wrong. That is his way to God. Don't tell the Buddhist he or she is wrong. That's their way to God. Don't tell the Hindu they're wrong. It's their way to God. Why? Because everybody wants to go to heaven and everybody wants to be tolerant. 
We think that being tolerant of the things that God hates, that somehow we're being kind to men. We would think to ourselves, if a preacher was to preach a message like this, that this is intolerant. I could be accused from the message going across the Internet, the webcast going to other places. I could be accused and get accused of it all the time of being intolerant and mean. Why? Because I talk about hell. That's intolerant, Pastor. Why are you teaching us that people go to hell? Why are you trying to scare us? Why are you trying to, to, to tell us about hell? Are you forcing us into your religion? Do you think you're better than the Muslim? These are the questions that I get. Do you think your church is better than a mosque or a synagogue? No, my friends. Number one, I do not rely on myself for anything good. I know who I am, my friends. Everyone look up at me. Without the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I would be the worst of all sinners. There is no double-mindedness in who I would be today without Jesus. I know who I am. I know my weaknesses. I know that Satan can tempt me and lead me astray. I know that my flesh can dominate over me. And I know that I can become a slave to my own passions and desires. And if you would be honest with yourself, my friends, you are all that same way, capable of any wickedness. Ricky and I were recounting a story with my wife about a pastor that she knew at a church. The pastor and his wife had a wonderful marriage, were married for many years, served the Lord, went to another place to serve the Lord, and now they are divorced. My wife spoke to the woman, asked her why she was divorced. She wasn't honest. A few years go by. We meet another person from the church, and they say, have you heard of so-and-so? My wife said, yes, they got a divorce. She says, do you know why? My wife says, no. She says, because the wife got into a lesbian relationship with a young youth worker, a youth worker from the youth group. My friends, you think that you and I are better than any sinner? We are sinners, my friends. And the only reason we are saved is by the grace of Jesus Christ. So why do we talk about hell then? Is it because we're mean? Is it because we're not tolerant? No, we talk about hell because Jesus talked about hell and because hell exists. Now this is a church that I believe would think the right way about hell. That you know that it's a place of punishment. But there are some that would say it's unjust. For God to send anybody to hell. Somebody would say, if your dog acted bad, would you set him on fire? Or if someone was a criminal, would you torture them? How long would you torture them? And why would a loving God not only set a person on fire, but torture them for eternity? For one lifetime of 70 years, they'll be tortured for billions of years. How is that compassionate? That's the justice question. People say it's unjust for God to do that. Why is it just to punish men's eternal souls? Because men sinning against God is an eternal crime, worthy of an eternal punishment. And whether you think that's fair or not, let me help you understand who's in control of this world. God is. It's His rules. And He made you an eternal soul. You may take your life early. Somebody may say, I don't like this life and commit suicide, but your soul will live forever. You may on this earth deny God to your own peril and shame, just like I could stand on top of this building, deny gravity, but when I jump off, gravity still exists and my body will plummet downward. Somebody could live their life saying God does not exist, and when they jump off into eternity, they will plummet downwards. The Bible speaks about there being two places. First is the place we hear here, Gehenna, hell. It is known as a temporary holding place. Then the Bible says in Revelations that then hell is thrown into the lake of fire, which is in a bottomless pit. That means the person is continually falling and never grasping onto anything. And as a preacher has said, that them falling through air is reminding them always that they could not save themselves. Have you ever fell and tried to grab onto something? 
The sinner, when he is judged after the great and final day, thrown into the lake of fire, which is a bottomless lake, he is continually falling, cannot grasp onto anything the entire time. But that today is not my message. Because this church should know those things. The message today that I want to talk about with even more seriousness than hell itself is the cry that comes from hell. Is the cry of the soul that is in that place of torment. And before I take this story to be what it is, an example for us, I want to clear up the one thing that I've heard Jehovah Witnesses say who deny an eternal hell. They try to say that this is all just make-believe. And I want you to understand that it cannot be make-believe. The first reason is when Jesus tells all of his parables, he always bases them in reality. When Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan is not on the planet Pluto. He is not riding on a unicorn. Whenever Jesus tells his stories, he bases them in reality. The Good Samaritan, riding upon his donkey, is going to Jericho. Then robbers come from the road. So what is Jesus teaching the parable for? Because in life, bad things happen and we must help people. And when you do that, you're a good person. Amen? So why would Jesus take a lesson of a parable and now make it make-believe? That would be like Jesus saying, now there's this place where Peter Pan lives. And where Peter Pan is, there's this guy called Captain Hook. And it really goes bad for him. And then he gets slapped around. No, you see, that would take away from the legitimate lesson if Jesus added make-believe to it. So it cannot be make-believe. There is no parable within the parable. This is not allegory. This is an actual event that happens to people in the only parabolic language. The only thing is these characters. Just like in the Good Samaritan. Did that man actually exist? Probably not. Jesus is using him as an example of people who get robbed. But do victims exist? Yes. Do criminals exist? Yes. Is there a road to Jericho? Yes. So what's the lesson? When people get hurt, do good things to them. So applying those same principle, was there possibly this man, rich man and Lazarus? Probably not. They're characters in the story. But what does exist? Hell exists. A beggar exists. A rich man exists. Abraham exists. Abraham's paradise. Abraham's side exists. There's torment in hell. That exists. Do you get the point? So when people try to tell you, oh, that Jesus was just telling you a make-believe story, that is not true. The second thing is, is that would be one of the most wickedest stories to ever tell somebody. If I said to you today, if you do not come to church tomorrow, it is going to be like me pouring gasoline and hot fire on you is what it's going to feel like when I get done with you. How many know that's going to be a wicked example to give you? And for Jesus to give us an example of good behavior and bad behavior and bring it to such a hideous place and it not be real, Jesus is a lunatic. For Jesus to say that we are supposed to learn something from this and he says it in such graphic language that a man is in torment, that he is being burned alive in the fire. And this is just supposed to motivate you to do something for Jesus' cause. Jesus is a wicked, evil, abusive person. But now to the point, without any further ado, this story teaches us the fact that there is a hell. And people you know are going there. And what I want to ask you to do today is to hear their cries. I want you to hear the cry of somebody you know if they died today and they ended up in this place, what their cry would be. I want you to see it in verse 27. Here is the cry from hell. I have, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. What is the cry? from hell saying save the people in my life so they don't come here 
The person you know right now, the person I know, if they went to hell right now, they would be crying out the same thing. Send somebody to speak to my family members so they don't come here. In hell, that's the cry. The cry from hell is send. Look at it in verse 27. What does the cry from hell say? Send. Send. And what does Abraham teach Lazarus? That there cannot be now another chance for him to go or for this person to go. That once they've crossed over, now they're here. So what does Father Abraham tell them is for them? What does he give them as hope that they would not come there? He says that they have Moses, verse 29, and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Don't you have the writings of Moses in your Bible? Don't you have the writings of the prophets? And now don't you have the writings of Jesus and the apostles? I want you to see it now in Revelation chapter 1. A cry from hell. Send. Revelations chapter 1. Or chapter 21 rather. Let's start in verse... Uh, chapter 20 and then move to chapter 21 at the end of the story starting in verse 11 of Revelation chapter 20 then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it earth and sky fled from his presence there was no small place for them and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne the books were open Another book was opened which is the book of life the dead were judged according to what they had done in the books The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades, see? Death and hell, the grave and hell, gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Now look at what happens, verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, which is also known as the bottomless pit. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now moving on to chapter 21, it talks about the new Jerusalem and how blessed it will be for us to be there. And it goes on down and it keeps talking about the, the river of life. And in verse 22, it talks about the temple being the kingdom of God and all of these things being among the people. And I want you to see what it says in verse 23, the city does not need sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it its light. The Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. For there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you see the same thing that was talked about here with Lazarus and the rich man? When they died in the Old Testament uh, and they, we die now until Jesus, you go to hell. In the New Testament, they were not able to go to heaven yet because they had not received the redemption of Jesus. So they were in this place called paradise. But after Jesus died, if you want to know what He did for three days in the grave, He brings paradise to His Father in heaven. And now they're separated. You can never go back into one or the other. And what is the message you see here at the end of your book? Was Jesus telling us another parable? No. Here it is. Now hell gives up its dead. Those who are there will be judged along with you and I. And those who have not served God will forever be in the lake of fire. And then you and I will come from heaven to this earth and be upon the new earth. And the Bible says that the impure, the unclean, will never come here ever again. You will not hear their cries anymore. So when should we hear the cries from hell? Should we wait till judgment day? No. We need to hear the cries from hell today. 
We need to hear their cries of what they are saying to us that are living today. And when I speak this word to you, I speak it from a heart who can understand this because when my sister died of drinking and driving, there was no assurance of her soul going to heaven. That means I had no assurance that she was saved. And for the first time, I had to literally think through this. What if my sister's in hell right now? What if she's there right now? Moments are going by and she is suffering in eternal fire. What is she saying? What do you think she would say if if she was there and you could hear her? Send someone to my friends. Send someone to my children. Send someone to the people I drank with at the bar that night. Send someone to the people I used to go to high school with. Send someone. Send someone. That's the cry from hell. Jesus is teaching us here in the story of Lazarus that once sinners go to hell, they have a regret and then they have a cry. Send someone else to my family so they don't come here. And I want to ask you today, can you hear their cries? By faith, you will hear it. In reality, you will hear it one day. The last day, you will hear it. But by faith, can you hear it now? Can you hear it? Do you understand that there are people that are in hell that you and I know? There, there are people in hell that have been there for years and they are suffering in torment and they are crying out to you and I, send, go, go, save someone else so they do not come here. Or are we so busy in doing what we do we can't hear the cries? You see, my friends, soul winning and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a hobby. It's not something we just come and do and just, you know, did you have a good time at church? Yes. Why? Because I saw my friends. We talked about Jesus. We jumped and danced around. No, it's more than that, friends. You today are in the ark of God. You are safe from the storm. I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. I told you it would be a heavy message. I pray that you can endure with me just for a few more moments. Genesis chapter 6, hearing the cries. Something that we never think about in this story. We teach it to our children in Sunday school, the story of Noah and the flood. Genesis chapter 6. Starting there, the earth is full of violence and the earth is corrupt. In in verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, listen to this. Tell me, this does not bring terror to you. So the Lord said, I will wipe man clean, mankind, whom I've created from the face of the earth. I will wipe mankind from the face of the earth. Men, animals, creatures that move along the ground, and the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And you follow the story of Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives are the only ones that are spared. Eight people out of millions. God said, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. Now, go to the part of the story that I want you to see in chapter uh, 8. Or rather, going to uh, uh, end of chapter 7. Start in verse 16. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God has commanded. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord shut him in. Now we just hear that. And now next verse we see for 40 days the floods kept coming on the earth. What do you think happened between 16 and 17? Can you imagine this? Could you imagine if you are in a boat And you have been shut in the boat. And water starts to come. And people start pounding on the door. Let me in. Come on, Noah. Could you imagine how that would make you feel? 
Could you imagine the brokenness you would have for people? You see, we as Christians for far too long have told these stories without a broken heart. We talk about hell without a broken heart. And then rightly so, the world looks at us and says, you guys are arrogant jerks because you always tell people they're going to hell. But do nothing about it. Turn down the monitors, please. We sit back and we say, yes, I believe in a hell. Yes, I believe in eternal torment. Yes, I believe that things will go wrong for this earth. But I don't even care. I'll compromise. I'll watch the same movies they watch. I'll go where they go. I'll sit down and drink with them. I'll be their friend. And we never make a difference. And then they look at us as hypocritical jerks because we come here on Sundays and we say, yes, I believe in a hell. And I'm glad I'm going to heaven. And they're not. What happened between verses 16 and 17, what happened was the most terrifying thing a person could ever live through. Could you imagine people going through the Holocaust, banging on the doors, let us out, screaming at the top of their lungs, they're gassing us, they're gassing us, let us out. Could you imagine the screams of the children? The children pounding on Noah's door. Let us in. Let us in. Mommy, Daddy, save me. Help me. Those, my friends, were the cries of judgment. Judgment coming to an earth. Judgment of God saying, enough is enough is enough. And you and I need to hear those cries today. We need to understand that there will be a day, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, when God will separate this earth as a shepherd separates sheep and goats. And we need to hear their cries. You say, Pastor, why do I need to hear their cries? So that you'll never stop preaching to them. So that you'll never stop Preaching to them. Why do we preach to people? Is Jesus the leather interior to a car? Is He just the upgrade of life? Is Jesus just the difference between a 65-inch TV to a 35-inch TV? Is, is Jesus just the difference between a Target set of clothes and an Armani suit? Is Jesus just the difference in life between a good life to a really good life? Do we look at Jesus in Christianity kind of as just the upgrade? Do you want this package or for a few more dollars you can upgrade? Or is Jesus the only hope? My friends, we are in the church, which is the ark of God. We have the cross. It is the only hope of salvation. And there are people that we know that will perish. And if we don't put it before our hearts, then we'll weary in well-doing. I want you to look with me to Matthew chapter 25. As you can see, it's hard-pressed for anybody to consistently look at the Bible and not see that there's an eternal place called hell. Matthew chapter 5, he separates the nations. Some are going to receive rewards for serving him and, and visiting him. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the angels will be gathered, all the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from goat. He will put the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. And you can read through all these things. But look at what he says to the righteous. He says in verse 40, I tell you the truth, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. And so what does that mean? They're getting blessed. Now look at verse 41. The things that they didn't do are not a given. Uh, the things that they didn't do are not accredited to their to giving to God, they're rebuked. Now look at verse 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Do you know that on judgment day, God through Jesus Christ will separate the nations. Some will go to eternal punishment, others to eternal reward. Can you imagine the cry of those people that day? 
I want you to understand before we go on with the rest of this message that if you and I do not hear their cries, then we will not be effective preachers. The only way you and I will be effective preachers is if we know souls are on the line. If you and I really cared, if we really loved the community that's right out here, if we loved the children, if we loved the families, if we loved the Muslim, if we loved the Indian, if we loved every foreign person that brings a different God into this nation, if we really loved those who are Roman Catholic, if we loved the Jewish people, if we really loved them, we would hear their cries of what will happen to them without God. And no matter what they would say to us now, We wouldn't let it stop us from preaching to them. Because we could hear the cry. We could hear the cry. You see, my friends, I remember my friend who's a street preacher. He was preaching on a ferry and a boat going from one side to the other. And as he was preaching, a homeless guy came up to him and said, Shut up. We don't want to hear you. You're disturbing us. And he kept preaching. And this man hawked a loogie and spit it right in his face. And as the, the spit was dripping down my friend's face, he, he was so angry at first. He, he wanted to rise up. He wanted to strike back a man who had just spit at him right in his face. And then at that moment, he remembered Jesus on the cross being spit, being beaten, having his beard torn out. And Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And at that moment, this belligerent person became in the eyes of my friend a baby who had just threw up on itself. And he said, at that moment, I changed the way I looked at that person. Instead of looking at them as, as a hideous person, I looked at them as a person that was so ignorant, so naive, so stupid in their behavior, they don't even know what they're doing. My friends, those are fools. The Bible says that they're blind. They don't even know. They're praying five times a day towards Mecca, and they don't even know. They're they're lighting candles towards statues, and they don't even know. They're going to parties. They're living on your street. They're buying homes. They're living an American dream, and they don't know that one day this will happen to them. But guess who does know? We know because we have heard it from Jesus, and we need to reach them because we know That if we do not reach them, then these will be their cries. Now, we did 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we set aside an all-night prayer meeting. And we spoke to our leaders. And we said that you need to come. But there was such a small turnout. Only a little over 20 of us came and prayed. And yet, there is 10 elders and deacons. There is 24 in the 201 class. There should never be a time when the 201 class, the elders and deacons don't show up when we do an all-night prayer meeting. I rebuke this congregation for not praying. Shame on you. You have no idea what you and I are losing out on when we do not pray together. I think of the Apostle Paul and what he would say to this congregation and what Jesus would say. We can't even pray. You know why? Because we don't hear the cries from hell. We don't hear their cries. And think of where you were Friday night. And think of what you put before God in that all-night prayer meeting. And think about how little it meant to you. That is how little you care about souls. Because you cannot even pray with Jesus for a night. You cannot even set aside time in your life to pray. And yet you want to tell me that you love Jesus. What Jesus do you love? Because if you love Jesus, your heart would be broken in a million pieces. When God made me the pastor and leader of this church, He didn't tell me to come and be your friend. He didn't tell me to come and make you laugh. He didn't tell me to come and do things to to win you over, to influence you. God told me to be accountable for your soul in the work of His ministry on these streets. 
I have never asked you to do anything that would be personally beneficial to me from this pulpit. I have never said, this is my birthday party, I require you to come. But I said, the Lord bids us to fast and pray. And it's a rebuke against this church because I should never as a pastor show up to any place without at least 35 people on their bended knee meeting me in prayer. And then there are 20 others of you who are going through the 101 book and you're saying, I want to connect to God. And you have leaders that are teaching you that word. You should follow the example of those leaders and be here. That means there should never be a time when your pastor calls for public prayer that there's less than 60 people in the building. Ever! Because why? We hear the cries of the lost. We see what their soul goes through. Listen to what it says in Matthew 14, 23. After he dismissed them, I'm going to read them to you quickly out of our book. You can turn there, but I'm going to go quickly. Matthew 14, 23. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Jesus prayed the whole night. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 9.28, about, about eight days after this, Jesus said he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he went onto a mountain to pray. Why don't we pray as we ought to? Now listen to me. I do not want you to come to me after service and tell me your excuse. Uh, you know why? Because in my heart, I would be inclined to, inclined to tell you it's okay. And, and then that would mean somehow like I invited you to my birthday party. And, and you know you really wanted to go. You really intended to go. But, you know, just that job got in the way. Or your family, you know how it is. There's so much going on with your family. And, and, and then I would be inclined to tell you, oh, it's okay. Because out of our friendship, I would say, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. But listen to me, was it my idea to pray all night? Was it for my benefit to pray all night? Was I here for my sake? I can't pardon you for not coming. You have to talk to Jesus, and He has to pardon you. And your excuse means nothing to me, by the way. Because all I see in the Bible are people who paid a price for it. Acts 1, 13-14. They met in the upper room and prayed together until the Holy Ghost came. They were in constant prayer along with the women and the mother of Jesus. Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Acts 3, 1. Peter was going to pray at 3 in the afternoon. Acts 10, 30. It suddenly there was a shining light as they were praying at the hour of 3 in the afternoon. Again, 3 was their time of prayer, by the way. Way. Acts 14.23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Pray always. Pray continually. Now there's two reasons why you did not come. Two reasons. Here they are. Number one, you are more spiritual than Jesus. You're more spiritual So that means Jesus, the Son of God, came onto this earth, walked in the flesh, and He had to pray all night. He had to get with Peter, James, and John. He had to get up early. He needed to pray, but you are more spiritual. You don't need to pray as much as Jesus because you already know everything. You hear the cries of the lost. You're so perfect in your ways, and you're more spiritual. You don't need to pray like Jesus did. You don't have to see the lost and a broken heart and to cry out for them. You're more spiritual, which we know in itself is a mockery to even say. Or the second thing is that you're too busy. And your busyness comes from the things that are important to you in life. Your job, your family, your friends. And what does that come down to? Your importance. So what that means is you are more important than Jesus was on this earth. You're more important. That means what you're doing is of more eternal value than what Jesus was doing. Because you cannot make time to pray. You can't pray. You're just too busy. 
Your family needs you too much. Your relatives, your job, it all requires your service more than even how Jesus was needed. You are more important than Jesus was. Because Jesus could pray all night. Jesus could get up early. Jesus could get with his disciples. So you're either just so spiritual or you're more important than Jesus. Is that the truth? No. What is the truth? What does the Bible say when Jesus asked his disciples to pray with him all night? Mark 14, 37. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to, the, to, to them, why are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? He goes down further and says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let me ask you a question, my friends. What are you willing to do for a soul not to go to hell? Do you think that you and I are going to see this city change, 100,000 people, which I get excited about preaching over, do you think we're going to see this happen unless we do what Jesus did? We have to pray. When are we going to make it that most important thing of our life? I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. I'm getting to a closing point. You see, because you thought maybe this message was just going to be, oh, there's a hell, Pastor. We no, the problem is you're not stopping people going to hell. And I'm not asking you to compare yourself to the people down the street. As I said to the Sunday school class, if we said, let's play basketball. Hey, you ready to play basketball? Let's play basketball. And let's say that we say we're going to have a game and we're going to get the best player here and we're going to have them perform. And let's say we could get a hold of Scottie Pippen or, or Michael Jordan, whoever's out there now, and we called them up and they came and they were ready to play. But we had them go to an ice rink. And we were holding hockey sticks and a puck in our hand. The basketball player would look at you and go, what are you doing? I came to play basketball. This is hockey. What, what, what are you doing here? And if you tried to convince the basketball player, oh, this is hockey. I mean, this, this, this is really basketball. He would say, you don't know what you're talking about. Basketball is not played on an ice rink. He would say, you're confused. And if we continued to try to convince him that what we are doing is basketball, he would look at us as a fool. He would say to us, you are a fool. I want to ask you a question. If Jesus came and said, let me see your Christianity, is that what it would be like? Would he look at what you're doing and say, I have no idea what you think this is, but this is not Christianity. Is that what he would do? If Paul the Apostle was to come to this church and look at the way you live, Paul lived with a heart of prayer, heart of fasting, seeking after God, on his knees with brokenness, living holy, dedicating his life and families to the Lord. Would these people walk in here and go, what do you call this? This is not the church. This is something like the whore of Babylon, Jezebel herself, and you've tolerated her too long. Or would Jesus look at you and say, I know what you do because this is what I do. But what does Jesus do, my friends? He hears the cries of hell and He prays and He preaches and He lives holy and He did the right thing. And guess what? He said, these things that I have done, you should do also. Now, do we look at Jesus as our example or is Jesus the person that we just idolize and just say, yes, you're God. Yes, we worship you, but we don't recognize what you did on this earth. We don't want to imitate you. We're going to do it our own way. And, and what we actually do is replace Jesus with some idol that we've made and said, that's what I'll do. I'll be this type of a Christian. We must be the Christians that the Bible calls us to be. And when your pastor says, let us pray. Why? Why? Why would we call an all-night prayer meeting? Why? Why would our church do that? Because we want to pray 
for souls. Because it's not okay with us that Prosser High School is going to go to hell. It is not okay with us. So if somebody walked up to you and said, Okay, Christian, you believe in this hell. You believe in this Bible. But what are you doing about it? We could look back at them with tears in our eyes. And we could say, We stay up all night. We pray and fast. We go to the high schools. We plead with them to repent. We are pouring out our souls before. For them. We have done all that we can that they do not go. So that they don't look at us and just say, you're a hypocrite. You believe in this place called hell, but you do nothing to prevent us from going. Acts, or Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is in the presence of the Lord. In the year, verse 1, that King Uzziah died. And look what he sees. It's amazing. It's going to bless you. Here comes the encouraging part now. You've gone through the toughest. Here comes the encouraging part. He said, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. Two wings covered their, their faces. Two wings covered their feet. With the two they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. So now Isaiah is not seeing hell. What is Isaiah seeing? Come on, somebody say heaven. We know God lives in heaven. Amen? He's not looking at the earth anymore. And he's not seeing a vision of hell. He sees a vision of heaven. He sees angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy. Meaning no one is like our God. He is perfect. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. They're worshiping Him. Angels proclaiming it one to another as they're in the presence of God. Then verse 5 He falls down. He says, Woe to me! I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see, he sees who he is. He knows he's not right. He knows he's not perfect. But he cries out to God and he says, I know who I am. He repents. He cries out. He says, I am ruined. How many people cannot admit that today? How they need God like this. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. That's true salvation. When you admit who you are without God. Then here comes redemption. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphs, that's a name for an angel, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from uh, the tongs from the altar. He took this coal from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said... See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Here Isaiah receives atonement through the sacrifice of an animal, but this is in heaven, so it's representative of Jesus, and the coal cleanses his lips. Now listen to this. What was the cry from hell? Send. What was the cry from hell? People say it. What was the cry from hell? Send. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And he said, Here I am. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people. Be ever hearing and never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. He is now going to give judgment to Israel. Then he said, "Then I said, For how long, O Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But at the terebinth and the oak, leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Would you stand with me, please? The cry from hell 
is send. Rachel, would you come please? Listen to that. Lazarus was the beggar and the rich man was in hell and he was tormented. And he starts crying out. Give me some water. He cried out. He said, just have somebody dip their finger in water and give it to me. And then Abraham says, no, I cannot come to you. And then he realizes that where he is, he will be for eternity. And what does he cry out now? Send someone to warn my family. Send someone. He says, send somebody from the dead. And Abraham says, no. The only thing they'll have is the law and the prophets. If they don't listen to this, there is no hope for them. Put up Romans chapter 9 on the screen for me, please. Do you know that when Isaiah saw the Lord, he heard in heaven The Lord saying, who will go for us? Go down just a little further. Who will go for us? Who can we send? Go down just a little bit. Right here. What then shall we say? that the Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have obtained it, or righteousness that is by faith, but Israel who pursued a law of righteousness has not obtained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. See, I lay in Zion, Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Go to chapter 10 now. What is the hope for our people? The same hope that God gave Isaiah. Jesus. But who will bring the people to Jesus? Keep going. Stop right there. Go up to verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can anybody call upon Jesus if they don't believe in Him? That's the question. How can, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? So if you don't believe in Jesus, how can you ever believe? Uh, if you don't believe in Him, how can you hear about Him? You have to hear about Him to believe in Him. Then the next question is, how can you hear about Jesus? Verse 15. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I'm going to pray today and I'm going to ask us to do something that may sound crazy. But it's going to get the point across today. In just a few moments, I'm going to ask the elders and deacons to stand up here at the front. And they're going to have the oil. And they're going to pray for you if you want your feet to go and preach a message that people can hear and be changed by and saved by. If you want to be used. And the way you're going to do it is you're going to take off your shoes and socks. And you're going to present your feet to God today. You're going to say, God, I hear their cries. Send me. Send me. Send me to the south side where that young man got beaten. Send me to the homosexual community on Belmont and Clark. 
send me to my job to preach. Send me to my neighbors that I wouldn't leave any door unknocked until I preached to them. Father, I sense your anointing in this place even now. Elders and deacons, would you come and begin to pray? Father, I ask that what we do as an act of faith in this place, God, just an act of faith that may seem ridiculous to some, but God, an act of faith that is declaring to you and the people of this world, we are your messengers. How dare we? believe in a Bible that talks about hell and a place of torment unless we help others not go there. How could we? How could we have the cure for a disease and not find the sick? How? How can a church hear a call to pray and not pray? Oh God, when Jonah went to Nineveh and he preached to them, the Ninevites didn't even feed their animals for three days. They fasted and they prayed and they cried out because a messenger told them that they were going to be destroyed if they didn't change. Oh God. We need change. It doesn't come through politics. It doesn't come, God, through money. It doesn't come through big churches. It doesn't come through masses of people. God, it only comes through prayer and your messenger speaking your word. That's the only way you ever move. It's the only way. There is no other way, God. He used to send preachers in America. And they would preach on things like alcoholism and drug abuse and adultery. Oh, God, and farmers and country people would come on their knees pleading for repentance. Now we have such an educated society that we kill our own babies. Fifty million children have been aborted and we can't even move a congregation to pray. Things that our grandparents, even if our grandparents weren't even saved, things that would have made our grandparents ashamed, we now let our children watch. Things like homosexuality, adultery, and perversion. We'll let our children watch it. God, have mercy. Forgive us. Forgive me, God. Start with me, God. Wherever I failed these people, forgive me. Because, God, I want to go back to my first love of why I became a preacher. And that's so people don't go to hell. And I pray that people don't go to hell. God, if I've ever not given that to these people, that heart, I ask you to forgive me. Because that's the only reason why I'm here. God, I would rather see them on a Friday night prayer meeting than in a Sunday service. God, because that's where we meet with you. God, I pray for change. I pray for change. I pray for change. I pray for elders and deacons for change. I want you to hear me before you come up here because I'm praying, but I want you to hear me before you come up here. We're not asking you to make a commitment to us. Matter of fact, there's not even an all-night prayer meeting scheduled on the calendar. It's not about that, friends. It's about are you going to make a commitment to God? Are you going to be a messenger? Are you going to be a prayer warrior? And are you going to hear the cries from hell? And not only now the cry of hell, but you've learned the cry of heaven. Who will go for us?
I'm going to begin to pray an invitation prayer. As I pray, you can begin to start to come with your shoes removed and your socks off. And we will begin to pray for you that your heart will never be the same again. Jesus, we pray right now that a soldier anointing will come upon this church. That a warrior anointing will come upon these people. That, Father God, they'll fight the very gates of hell. They'll fight the very devil himself through prayer, through preaching. That, God, we won't give up. I pray for an anointing to break men and women's heart in this place. That, God, they'll never be the same again. That they'll hear the cries from hell. They'll hear, God, that lost souls are there now. And if we don't preach, there's nothing for them.